0: Good morning, listeners. We are at Friends of the Earth, a special show, 3CR Friends of the Earth Combination. It's a call for sustainable breakfast, and this is a series. This is, I think, the last day of this series, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's Friday. <laughs> oh, yes.
0: Everybody hates work. Okay, come down and join us for breaky at 312 Smith Street, Fitzroy. It'll be fun. Vegetarian, of course. Now, let's give you a rundown of the show. We have a... We have
1: TV's Cam Walker coming up from Friends of the Earth.
0: Yes. And we have Melissa Corbett, yes? Yes. Yes. And who is she?
1: Um, she's been involved with the New International Bookstore. She's um, involved with Earthworker Co-op. She's a um, feminist activist, eco-socialist, so... Yeah. And all that.
0: Yep. Okay, we also have uh, Margarita Windich, who is a long term feminist and eco socialist, who has done her master's on a thesis on women, heat waves, and food. So we should have a really great morning this morning. And we have good music. Zane, you've been in charge of music. Yeah. <laughs> what are you playing?
1: Well, to wrap it up, me and Siphon are going to have a freestyle over some beats from J Dealer. Sounds good. It's going to be deeply festive.
0: Sounds wonderful to me. So, what's on the menu this morning, guys? Yummy!
2: Here we are. What's on the menu today? Practice friends of the earth. Here, right now. Yummy,
3: yummy, yummy, I got love in my tummy. Uh, Good morning, Uh, come on down to Friends of the Earth this morning, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood and join the wonderful breakfast team and Friends of the Earth Food Co-op as we're serving up frittata for Friday. So it's a beautiful japonica, pumpkin, spinach, frittata, we've got two versions as vegetarian and vegan too. And yeah, so that's gluten free, and you can have it with some beautiful toast from Crumbs Vegan Organic Bakery, also, and of course our house-made muesli. And yeah, for folks who don't know us already, uh, we've we were one of Melbourne's first food co-ops, and we've changed a lot over the years, but still our focus is on providing affordable uh, bulk. Food in bulk, so you can bring your own containers and refill them here. So you can make your home almost uh, totally waste-free by shopping here. Yeah. And How
1: long's Food Corp been going for? Uh,
3: yeah, almost 40 years now. So yeah, wow. yeah, just a little bit younger than than 3CR. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it just started out in the uh, back of a house in Carlton hmm. uh, pretty small but and in the early days it was quite interesting because um, yeah co-op members used to have to meet the farmers themselves in the wee hours of the morning to get their bulk sacks of goods and of course now we've got all these distributors and the industry's really grown but yeah we were a part of supporting that happening in the early days which is pretty cool.
0: Now, I have to ask you this question. It's been killing me for a long time. The name of your organization is Friends of the Year, but the acronym is FOE. How do you reconcile that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, friend, friend to some and foe to
3: our <laughs> <laughs> corporate is enemies. A <laughs> pot, it's a call for friends and foes, <laughs> is it? To get yes. together. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. But we are a really friendly mob and um we have yeah, our food co op and uh the cafe it, um has uh, is largely run by volunteers. Yeah, much like three CR. So if people are interested you can come and volunteer in exchange for the beautiful organic mix plate of the day and tea and coffee and discount on your shopping in the store. And yeah, it's really fun to get involved with, so highly recommend it.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Makes me feel hungry already. I haven't had break here yet, so <laughs> I shall wait <laughs> to eat the food. I cut the tomatoes, so it should be extra good. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's oh. move on to uh, the Green Left Radio. Intro. Intro. Is Intro. Is Yes, let's go.
4: Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly.
0: It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas
4: mainstream media want. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements.
0: It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us.
1: <laughs> yeah. What's um, amusing
0: you? <laughs> uh,
1: there's lots amusing me um,
0: We have lots of news, this is of course with the front page We're we do not have giving news. you a bourgeois newspaper uh, summary We're going to talk about... Not
1: this week anyway No,
0: not any week, thank you very much Hang on, but hang on, hang on. <laughs>
1: we, we, we owe our listeners a belated introduction by the way I'm Zane.
0: I'm Lalitha Chalaya. Sorry about that. That is a belated introduction. <laughs> started <Yeah>. badly.
1: <laughs> so this is Green Life Radio as part of 3CR Breakfast, and we're coming at you live from Friends of the Earth. All right. So we're going to do a, com- a condensed radical news for the uh, for the morning, and then there's like a billion interviews after that. So we're, we're packing in the news early. Uh, now, people may have been following. Outrage over New South Wales anti-protest law. The New South Wales Mineral Council Chief Executive Stephen Galilee is keen on new anti-protest laws in New South Wales. He claims to be concerned about the safety of workers as well as the protesters illegally accessing mine sites. Uh, so these new laws have been introduced. Uh, activists can be fined up to $5,500 for participating in protests, which is about 10 times what the uh, fine for such an action was until these new laws came in, and you can get up to seven years jail for participating in these protests. Meanwhile, fines for mining companies illegally doing things like uh, expanding coal mines or uh, fracking for CSG, these fines have come down from something in the vicinity of a million dollars to less than $5,000. So today in New South Wales, you can be fined more for protesting ongoing coal exports, or for protesting CSG trashing the Pilgrim Forest, you can be fined more for doing that than for illegally drilling a coal seam gas well without approval.
0: Isn't that so draconian? And we call ourselves a democracy. I find this just simply appalling. And this this means that the other states around Australia can follow this, can't they? If that's successful in New South Wales.
1: Yeah, and there's been some precedent in Tasmania and Western Australia with these anti-protest laws, but it's kind of like a race to the bottom or a one-upmanship thing and that the New South Wales laws, I think, are the harshest yet.
0: Yes, um, sounds... Bloody awful, to say the least. But there's, can we do a really... great
1: rage and furious anger north of the border, and it uh, looks like we can expect to see people defying the laws and continuing to protest. So.
0: Talking about protests, we have a massive march this Sunday, Palm Sunday March.
1: Yes, the Please March for Refugees. Please
0: come and make this the biggest march you've ever been to. Really, really important, given that refugees are suffering in Manus and Nauru and the way they are being treated by the Australian government. Even Amnesty International has labelled the refugee laws of Australia as the most draconian laws in the world. And there's an article in Green Love Weekly, if you want to read about it. I didn't interview with one of them last week. So it's going to be really, really important. Please come to the march. It starts about 2, but you can turn up at 1, one thirty, and it'll be massive from what I understand.
1: Epicness. Um, now, Berta Cacheres.
0: Yes. Um.
1: We might talk a little bit more about Berta with a couple of our guests. But, yes. um, for those who, um, were not aware, uh, a, a very, like, decorated, environmental, um, and social activist from Honduras was murdered. Um, we don't know who by, but it's by the powers that be. Military. Yeah. And uh, so this happened, what, about two weeks ago?
0: Yep, a week and a half ago. Uh, Berta uh, Caceres uh, won the Goldman Environment Prize in 2015. She's a very, very high-profile uh, environmental campaigner. She's from the Lenka indigenous people of Honduras, and she has won some massive victories against some global uh, companies like Siemens and so on. And they have challenged Hillary Clinton because Hillary Clinton actually is working hand in glove with the Honduran government. And this murder of Berta has hit the press. And two days ago, Nelson Garcia, a very close co- colleague of uh, Berta, was also gunned, gunned down. He was shot four times in the face. So that's another outrage and they, they both belong to an organization called COPEN, which is specifically designed to address food issues for the indigenous people, the, the, their self-esteem issues and solidarity issues. So many of the indigenous communities in Honduras have been put down to an extent they have been drained of their self-confidence and self-esteem. Birders organization, Copenhagen has helped and, you know, solidarize these people and, fi- and, and to an extent where she's won massive victories. She, th- that organization has won victories even against the World Bank. That's how powerful that has been. So we pay our respects to um, Bertha Kateris. We'll talk more about it because Friends of the Earth has released a statement about this as well. And, um, of course, Nelson Garcia now. Now, the other, person <coughs> the other issue is that Uh, another very close colleague of Bertha, Gustavo Castro, who has been also uh, targeted. He remains in in Honduras, and uh, the courts have um, passed judgment that he's got to stay. He was holding Bertha when she died, and he had blood all over his shirt. He he was forced to stay in those clothes for two days in prison, and he's totally distraught about that, of course. I spoke to Beverly Bell, who was a close colleague of um, Berta, and she said he was just devastated. The whole organization has been devastated. But they're marching on with the support of Gustavo, despite this, this setback. And at the moment, even the lawyer for Gustavo Castro has been uh, suspended from his duties for 15 days. So it's a massive um, setback for the Honduran indigenous people and the and left politics in, in Latin America. Mm. So it's a very sad um, week and a half we've had. And we'll talk about more of the politics of, of um, that later on. Uh, what else do we have in the news um, or announcements? We also have uh, a women's forum on the 22nd of March, which is next Tuesday. This, this is actually an announcement. And the speakers will be Brick Halton from Monash University, a researcher into women in prisons. Karen Fletcher, who is a lifelong feminist, and it will be held in um, the city. Uh, you can look it up under the Green Left Weekly um, website. It's at the level 5407 Swarton Street in the city. And in tune with this program... With four, we are going to announce another, uh, interest, well, another progressive group that works towards similar aims at series. The series, uh, not series uh, at four. The series Harvest Festival is being held on the 19th of March. Come and celebrate and give thanks to the good earth, our farmers, and the cycle of seasons with a range of entertainment, with live music, performance, free workshops, animal displays, cake baking, and so on. A lot of community. And kids' activities. That is on the 19th of March, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Ceres, Corner of Robert and Stewart Street in Brunswick. It's um So that's tomorrow? Yes, yeah, $5. Five for bucks. Five dollars. Kids are free. And kids are free. So and They've just ca-
1: rebuilt the uh, the little cafe. They have two cafes at Ceres. Yeah. There's the one up the top. You know all about Ceres, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I was working at Ceres for a while. Uh, there's the one at the top, which is kind of the, the more fancy cafe, and then there's the other cafe where you can get fresh fruit and vegetables, which I like to call the Peasant Cafe, which I I prefer to eat there when I'm eating Oh, you series. see, you're
0: a peasant. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: I identify more.
0: Sounds good to me. I don't know.
1: Anyway, they've just redone that cafe there and the food market, and they've kind of taken down these weird awning things, so you can look out from the cafe, across the green meadows and the sunflowers and the lovely stuff at here, So, yeah, you should go check out the new cafe and have a coffee, because the coffee's are exceptionally delicious. And if you've got little ones, the, uh, the kids' adventure habitat, it's not a kids' play area, it's an adventure habitat area where kids can go and get in the headspace of various native animals and so on. That whole space has been done up. There's a cool nest for kids to play in There's this kind of ant hill. Um, So if you haven't been there with the little ones, you really owe it to yourself and to them to go and check it out because it's most exciting.
0: Okay, talking about kids. We have got childcare workers who are fighting for equal pay. Um, They have protested outside Malcolm Turnbull's office. So if you want to look up more details about that news, um, do go to the Green Left Weekly website. And, of course, we had the Mardi Gras in Sydney recently and yay to the LGBT community and we need more solidarity for people who are marginalized and who are seen as a minority in the society. Um, We also have... (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And
1: to defend the Safe Schools program.
0: Yes, that is massive. That is massive. The right wing of the Liberal Party is totally geared up to smash it. Mm.
1: Thanks for that interview last week too that we played.
0: It was good, eh? Hmm. Now, the Christensen fellow, what's his full name?
1: The uh, parliamentarian from Queensland, who actually George attended the fascist uh, demonstration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That He's guy. Like friends with the.
0: He's leading a charge against the Safe School Program. Uh, and uh, uh, quite a few of the extreme right wing of the B- Liberal Party uh, is going behind him. Apparently, the 40 MPs who opposed the program. It's a pissy little program. It's funded like only one or two million dollars. Hmm it's voluntary for it?
1: schools to opt in. It's not even like it's mandatory service. It, what it I don't understand
0: there. is they, they say that kids are going to be turned into lesbians and gays by this program. Where do they get these ideas from? I just don't get it. Do you, Zane?
1: No, I think the only social engineering that's happening at the moment is kids are sort of bullied and, and told that it's not okay to be different. And that's the problem because there's a whole lot of self-harm and, and suicide amongst queer youth and that's what this program aims to address. It says it's not acceptable to bully people who have a different sexuality or gender identity to you.
0: An example of that is an indigenous person, a child, ten-year-old who committed suicide a week and a half ago. And that's to do to, with uh, low self-esteem and depression. It gives you the extent to which kids actually suffer. I have to say this. Christopher Pine, who I do not admire, to say the least, came out in support of the Save Schools program. He said he's got kids, and kids are being bullied. He wants them to be able to reach out for help. One good thing I've heard come out of his mouth. <laughs>
5: mm.
0: Okay, so we're going to have to wind up, so we can go to the next uh, part of the program, which is
1: uh, music Some time. stuff
0: breakfast who is sponsoring the 3 breakfast would like to say thank you to program sponsor the new international bookshop for the financial support of this program you can
2: find the new international bookshop in the basement of trades Let's hall come. at 54 okay. victoria street carlton
1: all right uh so this morning we've now got cam walker um What is your title actually, Cam, at at Friends of the Earth?
6: I'm the Campaigns Coordinator.
1: Campaigns Coordinator.
6: Yeah, sweet.
0: And Um, what campaigns are you running at the moment?
6: We're running about five out of Melbourne. So coal and gas, uh, pro-renewables campaign, uh, one called the River Country, which is working on the inland rivers, uh, one around forests, and uh, the anti-nuclear and clean energy campaign.
0: The anti-nuclear one is hot, isn't
6: it? It sure is at present. They yes. interviewed
0: someone the other day and the dumping of nuclear waste in South Australia has, has been decided. I don't know if it's commenced. They've
6: shortlisted, uh, I think, at six locations and they're now proceeding with, with identifying what, which would be the preferred site. So this has been one in the year 2000 and it was one, I think, in about... 2010. So it's it's been you know a a 16-year campaign. The community has won twice, and now the government's having its third go.
0: Remind me of Nunukambal in the 80s. We we began the campaign in the 80s and uh, anti-nuclear. Remember the nuclear salmon party was uh, was formed around that. Hasn't gone away at all, has it? And we have a new scientist, Mr. Finkel, who likes nuclear energy.
6: Yes, we do. So the coalition traditionally likes uranium and the ALP is a little bit more split on the issue. So when the coalition is in power, federally, uh, uranium always comes back onto the agenda. Um, I don't think anyone honestly believes they'd get domestic nuclear power up in this country anymore, but I think that their hidden agenda is to, as the drop-down ask is, to get the high-level radioactive waste dump finally sited somewhere and potentially to accept uh, international radioactive waste as well.
1: Are we going to have to keep campaigning against this every, like, 16
6: years for the next 300,000 years? Like 30 every
0: years, year. 30 years, 35 years, since
6: the 80s. You'd have to hope that um, if we win this round, which I think we will because already two of the six locations the communities have just said it will happen over our dead bodies. Mm. I think the other four, they're going to face really, you know, very stiff resistance from communities. Um, there's going to be a point where we're going to have to have to have a better waste management program. This new system that they're trying to put in place is very much put it out of sight, out of mind, somewhere a long way away from where it's produced. Where it mm. affects the Indigenous On people. Aboriginal exactly. Yeah. That yeah. really gets my gut. Yes.
0: What, I mean, given that we're running this as a sustainable breakfast series, what is the connection uh, that you have in your experience found between the Indigenous people, the way they preserve or like to respect the earth, And what the governments around the world really are doing today?
6: Well, I think um, in in the intro before, when you were talking about the murder of Berta uh, in Honduras, you know, uh, as an indigenous woman, she'd received many, many death threats. As we know, Honduras is the most dangerous place on the planet at present to be an environmental activist, and it's it's very fair, and it's very true to say that around the planet, indigenous people are on the front line of the environmental destruction that's happening. That's true in Latin America, it's true in North America, certainly true here in Australia. And so, uh, you know, the uranium mines, the uh, the, the waste dump uh, is on indigenous land, of course, and um, you know, then the backdrop, of course, of the the shutdown of communities and the winding back of funding and the attempts to quote, get people to assimilate. So it's part of a a much bigger problem that just doesn't recognise Indigenous sovereignty and certainly doesn't recognise their, in a meaningful way, their right to self-determination.
1: Dennis, I should mention, Dennis has joined us, a regular co-host. Have you
7: got a question for Cam? Ah, well, hello hello and good morning. Well, actually, I did want to... I did, uh, I did want a g- question more about the assassination of, uh, of Berta and other and actually actually other comrades who have actually been assassinated in Honduras sin- uh, since then there seems to be this uh, com- uh, campaign for extermination for any of any
6: environmental activists in the area uh, there. Yes. I was just looking up the figures. Um, It's actually terrifying. We've known that for the last five years it's been the most dangerous place on the planet in terms of being an activist. But in in four years, between 2010 and 2014, 101 people were murdered for being activists. Um, Bertha's group, which she helped co-found in the early 90s, and its acronym is COPINA, and uh, it's the National Council of Popular and Indigenous Organisations. One of their members was murdered last year, just shot dead at a protest. Um, It has, uh, their campaigns have a very strong uh, focus on supporting the rights um, of the Indigenous communities. A third, yeah, close to a third of that mining licence applications at present. There's a very high level of corruption. Uh, and anyone that stands up against that runs the risk of being murdered. Now, since that happened, as was mentioned before, uh, Nelson Garcia has been killed. He was another member of her group. But eight of the nine coordinators of their group have all been taken into custody, have been interrogated for long periods of time, up to two days, and released without charges. So clearly there's a, a level of harassment and intimidation that's, uh, that's continuing, in spite of the fact that two people have been murdered in less than a week.
0: One of the things I've noticed is Hillary Clinton is working very closely with the Honduran government. There's a record of it. Well,
7: she brought that government to power through a coup, so (laughs) that might explain why.
0: Yes. um, In the current climate, given that she's running for uh, the primaries, uh, Democrats and so on, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is the political situation in relation to um, the earth. And you are the director of Friends of the Earth. You're director, aren't you? Yes, you are.
6: Campaigns coordinator.
0: Campaigns coordinator. Sorry. Uh, not hearing very well my old age. But, you know, it, it's a very difficult nexus. How do we go forward with this? You know, it, it's, it's a crucial question for us to, to tackle because if they keep killing off activists, this is the woman who's, who, who won the World Environment Prize, for God's sake, and they've killed her off, and, then, and they're getting away with it.
6: There is impunity in Honduras and uh, it's interesting that Berta's family have called for a full and transparent investigation. Sometimes when there is oppression, there will be a point where the, the oppression becomes unsustainable and I, we have to hope that her death is that point where um, people will no longer put up with this that corporations will be held to account, that the European companies, for instance, that are investing in the dam that she's been resisting uh, will withdraw their funding. I think, you know, we have to hope um, that this will be a turning point in that country, but we need a a level of safety. A member of Friends of the Earth, Mexico, was with her the night she was murdered. He was wounded and he's had to seek refuge in the Mexican embassy because he's not been allowed out of the country. So at this point the Honduran government is not supporting the victims. In effect, it's siding uh, or it's choosing. We can only assume to side with the perpetrators because there is ongoing harassment of members of Bertha's group and um, uh, Gustavo hasn't been able to go home to Mexico. So let's hope that with enough international attention we can start to bring a focus to this and it becomes safer the, for these people. And. you know, paramount to that is the need to reassert a rule of law, transparent law for all uh, in that country, rather than impunity for corporates and for, you know, shadowy groups which may or may not be paramilitaries, they may or may not be uh, criminal elements.
0: So, given that the US is totally behind the Honduran military government, what do you think people in Australia can do?
6: Uh, There is a petition that we have through Friends of the Earth International and that's just sending a message that we need to um, get... um, Gustavo from Faux, Mexico out of the country and we need an independent inquiry. And we know that people who are tweeting the President, who are emailing the President, who are basically mentioning the President of Honduras in public, we know that it is having an impact. Um, These murders have continued for years and often with very little public scrutiny. And I think that sometimes when you shine the light on things, uh, you know, on terrible things, that that actually shifts the behaviour. So I think we need to sustain the pressure on the Honduran government and we need to continue to provide direct support in-country for the Indigenous and environmental groups that are on the front line of these campaigns.
0: Zane, you had a particular question you wanted to ask, Cam.
6: Yeah,
1: I was just keen to ask um, what's been happening. I know that there's been a Yes to Renewables rally uh, earlier this year, and late last year there was a big rally um, declaring Victoria coal seam gas free. Um, Yeah, how how have those kind of coalitions been formed, and, and what's happening on those fronts?
6: Sure, that's probably a half-hour conversation. <laughs> <out of that. laughs> but the two the short version um, <laughs> is the last five years we've been working in regional Victoria because... Um, About a third of our state was under exploration licence for all kinds of gas drilling and new coal projects. It's actually quite remarkable. Our best farm country has been under licence. And uh, we've been working with more than 70 communities and we have this community building model where we we go into communities, we work with them, they door knock their whole community around the question, do you support us declaring ourselves gas field free? Mm. 72 communities have done that. They've locked off the state to the corporate uh, gas industry, which is amazing. Mm. That in turn uh, forced the hand of the Farmers' Federation, which forced the hand of the Coalition, which forced the hand of the ALP, Um, and, you know, we've now got a moratorium on on fracking in the state. Probably in about May, the state government, the Daniel Andrews government, will need to decide what they do next, and this will be a final decision, you know. Do they put a permanent ban in place or do they open the floodgates to it? We're doing the best we can, you know, to convince them that a permanent ban is the way to go. But it's been an amazing campaign because it is... It's happened in conservative areas. You know, it's not the usual suspects that we would work with. Mm. It's deeply conservative, very national party voting uh, regional communities, and they have just stepped up to the plate and they've been absolute legends and heroes in this campaign. And they've created a new environmental movement that simply didn't exist five years ago. Mm. And then parallel to that is Yes to Renewables, which has been also a grassroots building movement. which uh, shifted the government and now we, w- you know, the wind industry was killed off under the coalition when yes. they were in power from 2010 to 2014 and it's going again and what comes with that is jobs and investment mm. and transition because this is the 21st century technology we need. Uh, we don't need coal anymore, we actually need renewable energy. So um, all around, they're pretty exciting campaigns and it will also have uh, a, a final uh, decision probably around the time of the state budget, so in, in May this year.
0: The, one of the key things at the moment is uh, I, I heard an interview with the international um, figure. He said that climate change has actually gone on a big back burner because of the refugee crisis. Um, I'm just wondering what we need to do in this country um, as a final thing for you. Got one minute to go. What, how can we beef up this campaign?
6: I think we have to accept, uh, you know, as the US saying is, we've got to walk and chew gum. You know, we can't just uh, say only one issue will be allowed to dominate our national narrative. Uh, Refugees, asylum seekers, security, uh, you know, the conflict, I guess, between conservative forces and and, and modern forces, which we're seeing played out uh, in many of the wars around the planet. Climate change, they're all issues we've got to deal with and we need smart ways to do it. I think the People's Climate March that happened in November was a really good model, Mm. which saw trade unions and students and you know environmental groups and faith communities get together i think what we need to do is do more alliance based campaigning and if we do that and there was just some polling released this week that showed 47% of australians climate change is actually an issue for them when it comes to voting it's just up to us to actually take that sentiment and turn it into meaningful political action
0: sounds good Word. thank you so much cam well, thanks cam thank yeah. you Great keep up the good work yes you rock we'll keep joining you every year <laughs> people-powered radio an
8: exhibition celebrating 40 years of 3cr from the 18th of march till the 23rd of april the exhibition will feature new work by contemporary artists rare audio 3cr ephemera archival posters and photos live on-site broadcasts and music events come along to the opening night friday march 18th from 6pm at gertrude contemporary art gallery 200 gertrude street fitzroy for more information visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. All
1: right. We're back. <laughs> yes. We're back on
0: air. Yes, and on board. What are you going to say, Tishan? <laughs> <laughs> Good morning,
4: Molly. Good morning, Zane. Um, so I guess... Uh, big news for 3CR, uh, 2016 marks 40 years of 3CR Community Radio yes. on the air. Yes, great. The People's Radio. Um, and to mark this, you know, pretty momentous occasion um, because, let's face it, the, on the left, you know, um, uh, it's not often that a, a radical uh, left-wing community organisation survives very long. Friends of the Earth, another great example, but it's pretty rare, actually, um, so to celebrate this, uh, 3CR has teamed up with Gertrude Contemporary Gallery uh, on Gertrude Street there in Fitzroy, who've been around for quite a while as well, not quite as long as 3CR. And uh, we're having an exhibition that's called If People Powered Radio, celebrating 40 years of, of radical radio on 3CR.
0: And uh, what sort of um, exhibition is it? Is it art or what sort of stuff's on
4: display? It's a really interesting show, actually, Lali. There's quite a mix. So Gertrude has commissioned uh, five artists, I think it is, five um, contemporary artists, to make works responding to the themes of, of 3CR. Uh, so they'll have works there in the exhibition. It's taking over the whole gallery there on Gertrude. Uh, and then also in the front room, we've got some listen, what we're calling listening stations where people can listen to a whole lot of archival audio. So we've gone through the, the wild and... Um, somewhat jumbled 3CR archives <laughs> and uh, dug, up, uh, dug up some random snippets, some best-ofs, and um, we've got a couple, a few hundred worth of uh, different listening pieces that people can listen to right from 3CR's very first test broadcast on May Day in 1976 uh, through to the first broadcast in July 76, right through to today. So, giving you a snippet of all the, all the decades that 3CR's been broadcasting.
1: Nice. Yeah, was it a... Um some kind of festive gathering at Ceres and um, Raya was there and he was telling me about trawling through the archives and <laughs> finding heaps of really cool and interesting fun stuff.
4: You yeah. know, looking at history, is always fun. It's, it's definitely inspiring and, you know, it sort of makes you realise that, um, you know, you're not doing this for the first time, that nope. people have been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Um, and in fact, we've actually got a... a a little snippet, an archival snippet to listen to. It's from 3CR's coverage of the Franken River blockade, a pretty, um, you know, momentous event in Australian environmentalism. Enormous, that was enormous. Um, And 3CR was there covering it, and uh, for 3CR's 15th birthday in 91, uh, some people dug up the snippets and put it together in this neat little package, which I think would be great to listen to now. Sounds
5: good. that left Strawn yesterday at uh, about quarter past two in the afternoon, after stopping overnight up uh, at the entrance to the Gordon River, um, reached the, uh, Butler's Island, our Butler's Island camp at about nine o'clock this morning and was greeted by the typical flotilla of uh, uh, duckies and uh, a couple of canoes.
0: 3CR's uh, coverage of the Franklin Dam
3: blockade yeah, from late 1982
5: yeah. through to March 1983. And uh, what e- e- eventuated was one kayak uh, carrying a 16-year-old John Horgan was uh, uh, taken under the barge and John subsequently went, uh, travelled the length of underneath the barge and uh, emerged eventually with, uh, after frightening responses from um, the other protesters, uh, he emerged with uh, some lacerations and uh, shock uh, on the evidence later. There's been people that have gone underneath, there's been people gone underneath. People, um, there's duckies
9: all over the place, but barge, the stop,
6: Yesterday,
5: Bill Hayden um, came out and gave the ALP support for the blockade. Well, of course, we're very grateful for that kind of support. And uh, I think uh, what Bill Hayden's recognising is the fact that um, this is an election issue.
4: Yes, so I guess what I like about that snippet is it kind of um, brings up the issue of, of 3CR as being sort of a movement media. So, you know, as a counter to corporate mainstream media, You know, the mission of 3CR was to provide and is to provide a a platform for those voices desired access to mainstream media and also to be there on the ground and to be there talking to people in the movement um, and and giving a platform for for activists.
0: I think the key thing about 3CR is it gives you another view of the world. It's there to prove that another world is possible. We don't have to always follow the um, uh, corporate media, which is generally a mouthpiece for the people in power. And, you know, you're starved for real news, what the community is saying, what are the interactions, what are the campaigns. You don't hear about any of these things. Like, you know, Cam was talking about the five campaigns. I'm sure the people who don't listen to 3CR would never would have heard about it. So that is the vital role 3CR plays. And I know that alternative radio, not just 3CR, there are other, other radios and other media that people follow. There are 4 million people who follow alternative media. And I think we, uh, 3CR's role is vital. And people like Friends of the Earth contribute enormously to that, that, you know, that solidarity you're talking about. So that's uh, very interesting. It's fun working <laughs> with other people too. Yeah. You know, you work as a team.
4: I should probably mention um, some other events that are happening as a part of the exhibition, the If People Powered... Uh, exhibition that's opening tonight at Gertrude Contemporary Gallery. Uh, so can you the give them the address? Yes, that's, that? a, that's a that's a very good question. <laughs> the address there know? on Gertrude Street is is temporarily <laughs> slipped by by, but you can find it. Um,
1: How long is Gertrude
4: Street? <laughs> really? <long> <laughs> it's it's not long that as long. As long. So the exhibition opens tonight uh, at six pm. So six to eight pm. Come on down for the for the opening. It's going to be great fun. And then we've got this really great series of, of events um, that are happening over the, the weeks that the exhibition's open. So opening uh, tonight, the 18th. So it's from the 18th to the 23rd of April that, uh, that the exhibition's on. Uh, and so it's 200 Gertrude Street. Just, and that's just between Brunswick
0: your... and, and uh, Smith Street. Between A Brunswick stretch. and Smith yes. Street, <laughs> yeah.
4: 200 Gertrude Street. So every Friday afternoon. Uh, through April, there's going to be live outside broadcasts. So just like what we're doing down here at Friends of the Earth, uh, come on down for free brekkie if you want. Uh, we're going to be doing live outside broadcasts from uh, Gertrude Ga- uh, Contemporary Gallery starting Friday the 1st of April, then the 8th, the 15th, then the 22nd of April and the 23rd. So...
0: Thank you, Tisha. That was interesting. I hope people do turn up for the exhibition. It sounds fun. Mm.
4: And if we can just go out with a final archival snippet to give you an idea of uh, some of the stuff that you can hear at the exhibition. Here's a snippet from Earth Matters on 3CR covering the Jabaluka campaign from 1997.
1: Yeah. They made
2: them put it back in the ground. Hello and welcome to Earth Matters, public and community radio's national environment program, where today we'll be hearing a special on Jabaluka.
0: So stopping Jabaluka mine isn't just about killing off a uranium mine, it's about the survival of this community. There's going to be no future for our children and no future for their children if Jabaluka mine goes ahead.
2: Jabalooka is the site of a proposed uranium mine surrounded by Kakadu National Park in the Northern Territory. If successful, it will be Australia's third working uranium mine. Australia has around one third of the world's uranium and there is currently extensive exploration going on into its mining potential.
3: We do have a responsibility. That it's our place as students, as young people, as, as people of this country to say that we don't want this to happen and to let other people know that it's just downright wrong. We've come here to support the Mirar people. We've come here to back them up in what they're saying. We've come here to say, no, we don't want uranium mining.
2: We don't want it in Jabaluka. We don't want it anywhere. You're currently listening to 3CR's sustainable breakfast series in its third year, broadcasting live from friends of the earth you can join us each morning from tuesday the 15th to friday the 18th of march at the friends of the earth food co-op for four days of live broadcasts free breakfasts and live music hear 3cr's breakfast presenters with campaigners commentators and innovators talking about the most important challenge of our time how to achieve environmental sustainability with social justice Each morning this week, Tuesday the 15th to Friday the 18th of March, 7am to 8.30am. 3CR is broadcasting live at Friends of the Earth's Food Co-op and Organic Café. Find us at 312 Smith Street in Collingwood. Tune in to 3CR, 855 am. 3CR Digital, or stream us via 3cr.org.au. 3CR Sustainable Breakfast Week, supported by the City of Yarra and Friends of the Earth. And uh, welcome back.
0: There's um, Zane, Dennis, and Lalita here. And we've been joined by Margarita Windage, who has kindly come in, the, in this early wet morning to talk to us about a thesis she's written. She's a long-term feminist and eco-socialist and has done her master's on, on women, heat wave and food. So let's hear what she has to say. To give us a
9: brief rundown of your thesis, Maggie. Sure. Good morning, everybody. Um, I um, did my master's um, just a couple of years ago and finished recently, so that was a nice achievement. And, Congrats. Um, thank you. And I was quite stunned, and I have to say, honestly, a little bit frightened at the 2014 January heatwave that we experienced in Victoria. After the 2009 heatwave, it probably would have been one of the most severe, intense, and long-lasting that we had with some record temperatures of 44, 45 degrees nearly, and that was really quite frightening. And I thought that it might actually be a very good opportunity to start researching a bit more in how heatwaves affect vulnerable population groups. And one of the things that became quite clear in the couple of years that I was sort of doing my Masters was, number one, there's very little talk about heatwaves and who are mostly affected and also the sort of consequences, the long-term consequences, and what particular adaptation and mitigation measures are necessary. Um, David Klinenberg, who is a sociologist, he wrote an incredible um, uh, thesis on the 1995 Chicago heatwave. Now, we know that's quite a few years ago, but it made a tremendous impact because what he... Found was really that uh, people who mostly died in heat waves, and we're talking also specifically urban heat waves, it wasn't so much necessarily the actual disaster, the natural disaster, but the surroundings of how, where these people were placed in their city that actually became the key determining factor if people are going to stay alive or not. And um, he called heat waves the silent and invisible killers of mostly silent and invisible people. Mm. And I think that was a very telling kind of um, um, a phrase he came up with.
1: So, if that's the case in a developed country like the USA, in an urban environment like Chicago, where there's, I guess, some chance for refuge, what about people in the North African desert or Central African? Um, areas there or in the middle of Australia um, where there's probably even less opportunity to try and escape to somewhere cool in the middle of a heatwave.
9: Look I think it's probably quite a sort of interesting and complex theme because in some ways um, there's something particularly um, vulnerable of living in big urban spaces hmm. so big cities are actually um, quite vulnerable to heatwaves and sometimes even more than some other places. Okay. Uh, and that's particularly because of the urban heat island effect, which mm. basically creates up to four, five, six degrees higher temperatures in an in urban environment than a non-urban environment. And that's because of the mix of, of um, you know, um, pitchman, uh, very concrete. densely concrete, yes. very densely built environments and no green space that might actually uh, counter some of the heat. So poor people are particularly vulnerable... In urban spaces hmm. At times even more Than maybe in a sort of desert environment Yeah, right um, And also people what, what my research found That often people that are in temperate climates That are not so used to heat Are particularly vulnerable when heat waves come Yeah, right And while we have not seen really Um, very high death rates in Australia, but there were some extremely high death rates in some of the heatwaves in Europe uh, in 2003, in Paris, but then also a bit later in in Eastern Europe where up to 50,000 people died. When you say heatwave, it
0: also brings to mind, for me, bushfires. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the rise in temperatures, the way we use the land or we don't use the land, and the connection to food and even, and women too. You, you talked about he, how heat wave affects women differently. I wonder if you can talk to that.
9: Yeah, um, heat waves affect women, I mean, women more over, overall than men, and... Um, Partly that is also because the biggest, I guess, group of vulnerable people and people who die in heat waves are older people. That's a key factor of vulnerability to heat waves. And we also have more women are older than men. And the other factor that's very um, important is that, that's been, that, that we know now is that the poorer you are, the higher your chances of being vulnerable to a heatwave because you do not have the necessary um, uh, availabilities or or possibilities to make it, uh, to to, to adapt to to, to your climate. So in Australia and globally, women are the poorest sections of society. Um, So that means they are more vulnerable to heatwaves and they're older. And the other thing that we have found too is that social isolation is a critical factor also that makes it harder Mm. for people to be able to survive a heatwave. So old age, gender, um, social isolation and especially low income Mm. are key factors for people that that determine um, that they possibly survive or not in a heatwave.
1: So what can we do apart from... um Abolishing the capitalist system <laughs> and having a much more even distribution of wealth so it's there's not state. super poor people. What else can we do to protect people from heat waves?
9: Look, I think it's a really tricky issue, but at the same time, I think it's probably also a very simple issue, and it is rebuilding community. One of the key things is actually having number one, you know, um, having housing that's protective of heat and cold um, and that means there has to be more investment state investment also in decent housing retrofitting housing but a key factor is actually rebuilding community connecting people again with each other The the level of social isolation doesn't just kill people in heat waves it, it kills them just about from loneliness yeah mm. and despair so if we can start recreating a kind of you know society that we should have and used to have where we all look out for each other and share with each other we have a much higher chance of keeping people alive and healthy and happy I would add mm. so that's critical and of course in other critical issues is actually reducing greenhouse gas emissions so you know yeah. that, that that's the overarching yeah key issue for us to have to deal with
0: thank you so much marky it's very kind of you to come all the way from for <laughs> in this wet, wet morning and it's wonderful thanks
1: cheers bye you're listening to green radio it is sustainable brekkie and we're coming at you live from friends of the earth and this morning we have got our next guest melissa corbett and Melissa is, has been involved with the New International Bookstore, uh, was part of the Eco-Socialism Discussion Groups, is also involved with Earthworker Co-op, so a few pots on the boil. Yeah,
8: definitely. Lots of pots on the boil.
1: <laughs> um, so can you tell us a bit, Melissa, about the Eco-Socialist Discussion Group? It's uh, not kind of happening at the moment, but... Um, yeah what was the what was the go with the eco-socialist discussion group what would you talk about how did it how did yeah. it form
8: So basically it was a small group of us would meet every month to look at a particular reading or text book um, and basically yeah talk about eco-socialism as a pathway to dealing with ecological crisis and building a more sustainable Society. So instead of the old phrase of socialism or barbarism, it's eco socialism or barbarism. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, basically, that was running, I think, for over a year. I kind of got involved with it sometime early last year, around this time, I think, autumn, March, April. And um early on, we were looking at uh texts by Hans Bayer, the Melbourne University anthropologist uh We were looking at some chapters that he'd developed for his next book, which is on um specific demands for an eco-socialist future. So what would an eco-socialist society look like? What would the transition look like? Uh, then later on, we were reading Michael Lurvey's, uh introductory text, to Eco-Socialism.
0: Hmm.
7: Excellent.
0: What would it look like?
1: Yeah, what what differentiates <laughs> eco-socialism There's a garden variety of socialism?
8: <laughs> well, I guess the emphasis on... The eco part means that basically uh, dealing with problems around ecology is at the forefront. Mm. So ensuring that we have a sustainable society. um, Obviously, when really existing socialism was implemented in the past, um, it basically continued a lot of the very destructive capitalist production processes and so I guess eco, sort of saying we're eco-socialists it emphasises a clean break away from that and emphasising that we're going to have environmentally sustainable production.
1: And how does um, feminists uh, struggle, like overlap with and relate to Uh, environmental struggle like Margie was just talking a bit about this before Mm. saying that uh, women tend to live a bit longer than men so a larger proportion of older people are women and they're therefore disproportionately affected by social isolation, heat waves, stuff like that yeah, Yeah. what what other ways do you reckon?
8: Well I guess uh, women sort of I guess in a lot of societies including this one having I guess a more Oppressed role in the society means that we don't, we're not as economically empowered. Um, a book that I've been reading for a few months is called Eco-socialism. Um, no, Eco-sufficiency and Global Justice, and it's an eco-feminist text. And um, in that text, they actually go through a lot of examples of where, you know, I guess capitalist. Uh, production and economic processes have come in and displaced women's traditional uh, roles within the economy and made them virtually excluded from normal um, economic, I guess, affairs in a way that, you know, in the past they were quite empowered and had a role in the society. Um, so I think that it's in terms of ecological struggle, um, women's struggle is quite intertwined in that because women are so often on the front lines of, I guess, capitalist oppression. Mm-hmm.
7: But Melissa, how do you think we can actually um, uh, also economically empower women to really take part in the eco-socialist struggle? Do you think uh, projects like Earthworker are the way to go? Uh, on on this?
8: Well, uh, as far as eco-socialism is concerned um, Earthworker ideally is ideally placed to be a part of a future eco-socialist society um, because eco-socialism often emphasises the need for production to be collectivised and to be community owned, cooperatively run so workers and members of the community have a direct say in terms of uh, what is produced and how it is produced.
0: Now, what are we going to explain a little bit more about what you mentioned before, capitalist production? Yeah. If you could spell that out a little bit more, it'll be... Yeah,
8: sure. Um, So basically with capitalist production, it's uh, the way that things are produced Uh, In a capitalist society, so um, from taking the raw materials, uh, usually the process of extraction, and then making it into a commodity that would be then sold onto the market, um, and how that is done in a capitalist society.
1: Um, What do you think of uh, populationists? those people who say, oh, the, the world's greenhouse footprint is a product of the population of the planet, and therefore the way to fix it is to stop um, generally women in the global south from mm-hmm. being baby factories. Yeah. And something that stands out for me is that in the absence of a welfare system, having a, a big family is your welfare system. So yeah. mm-hmm. one of the pressures for population is the absence, is this massive inequality of global wealth and the absence of stuff like healthcare and welfare in some of these poor countries.
8: Yeah, well, uh, I think the evidence is basically saying that the rich are destroying the earth. I mean, wealthy people, in terms of their consumption, are so far ahead (laughs) (laughs) in terms of creating emissions. Like, it's not even comparable to, you know, what most people on in the third world are doing as far as, like, you know, contributing to our global emissions. I mean, someone who is in the 1% and has five yachts and flies everywhere compared to someone who's living in the global south and, you know, is living at a fairly sustainable subsistence level I mean it's just not comparable so you can have you can have many people who um, are living subsistence lifestyles but is that fair and I would say it's not fair that people are having to live in dire poverty while you know a small coterie of people are living with extreme wealth um, in terms of Population. I guess, from a feminist perspective, um, and as a woman, the idea of having a lot of children it can be a real like physical burden. Um, and you know, it, it's been proven in the West that once women are economically powered, have control, have more control over their bodies, they actually choose not to have five to ten children. <laughs>
0: Sounds like a good point there. Thank you very much, Melissa. Very kind of you to come this morning. Thank you. A wet, cold morning again.
8: (laughs) Oh, And can I also give the New International Bookshop a quick plug? Sure, of course. We have a series of events coming up. Um, Next week, on the 24th of March, between uh, 7 and 8.30pm, we have a talk by Aaron Gare on Towards an Ecological civilization. Um, so, if you're interested in environmental struggle theory, please come along. Uh, it'll be a great activist talk. Um, we also have quite a number of events uh, happening on the New International Bookshop pay- Facebook page and website. So, definitely check it out. We have our first uh, subversive cinema coming up on the 7th of April. This, this is a coup about uh the Syriza government so yeah, also right. check that out excellent alright thank you
2: cool. thank you thanks Melissa cheers 3CR
0: Breakfast would like to say thank you to program sponsor the New International Bookshop for the
2: financial support of this program you can find the New International Bookshop in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street Carlton
0: and welcome back uh, time to say goodbye we've come to the end of the show Thanks to Melissa Corbett, Margarita Windich, and Cam Walker, who kindly came in in person to talk to us about the whole issue of ecological issues, feminist issues, earth e- issues. Ecos socialism Yes, all capitalism that. Capitalism trashing
1: the place. Yes, give us a bit of a breathing operation. space
0: from capitalism. Um, uh, We will go on to some music, and before that, let's invite you again to a delicious breakfast at Friends of the Earth, and this has been a wonderful combination between Friends of the Earth and 3CR, fantastic teamwork, thoroughly enjoyed the show, I hope you did as well. And Zane, you're going to introduce the music next.
1: Yes, well, um, I think there's going to be a brief interlude, we're going to play a couple of um, songs while myself and Syphon get set up, but... um, Going by my alter ego, Dr. Fruit, uh, myself and Syphon are going to be bringing some freestyle raps for you this morning uh, over some beats by uh, Jay Diller, who does make a very pleasant hip-hop beat, I can tell you. So stick around for for a bit of freestyle action.
0: Okay, that's goodbye from Lalita, Chalaya.
1: See you from Zane in a minute. And goodbye from Dennis.